everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, you're watching School Psych Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm a school psychologist in Maryland. Uh, super excited for tonight's episode to have Anna back. So I'm just going to be doing a little happy dance here. Um, we've missed her a lot and um, a really great topic. Tonight we're, we're short Rebecca due to some traveling that she's doing and some Wi-Fi issues and, and things of that nature. Um, so we'll just have to, um, we're going to plug on without her and um, she will be missed for sure keeping her eyes out for the social media stuff but to uh, let you guys give you give you a reminder on how to participate tonight um there's kind of a, a chat box on the side of youtube so if you're signed into youtube you can post um uh, your questions and comments there you can also tweet us using hashtag uh psych podcast and um you can reach us too through the facebook um the facebook group um school psych podcast and um so that should be plenty for, for, for people to get us questions and comments if need be. But I'm going to pass it over to Eric, who's um, going to introduce himself and our guest tonight. Eric. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Yes. Uh, so as uh, Rachel said, you know, please feel free to message us on YouTube this evening or on the Facebook page. We'll try to keep our um, our eyes open for that as Rebecca usually takes care of that side of things. So uh, we'll improvise a little bit tonight, uh, but we're excited to have Anna back. So for those of you who are later um, listeners, um, Anna is one of the original trio of the podcast co-hosts with Rachel and Rebecca. And I used to joke that as I was a sub initially and, um, and a guest initially, that um, when I would sub for Anna, I would just say, hi, I'm Anna, school psychologist in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, nobody would know because most people listen on YouTube or on, uh, on iTunes anyway. But we're happy to have Anna back. And if you watched any of the episodes, sometimes Anna's cats would come crawling across the screen and, um, you know, sort of make their debut on camera and um, was very entertaining and a lot of fun. So, um, but Anna is a school psychologist in upstate New York. And we're going to talk this evening about some training that she's been doing on the power of pronouns. And she's been making strides in her own community to promote acceptance and inclusion for all. And Anna has a PowerPoint for us and lots of information. So welcome, Anna. We're so happy to have you back and take it away. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a presentation that I have done repeatedly with a colleague of mine. Um, it takes about an hour 15, an hour 30 minutes. So obviously we're not having like the discussion and um, so I'm skipping over those items. There's no polls, which we would do polls in Zoom and things like that. But my thought was that this could be something that people would appreciate either just for their own personal professional development or to be something they could turn key and modify and use on their own um, to continue to support students with um, different genders. And um, so, you know, I've it, feel free to share it on the drive and whatnot. Um, and I'm just going to kind of roll with it. I am having some occasional technical difficulties. So if, if we have to, Rachel will switch over to her screen. Um, so here it is, the power of pronouns and names and identity acceptance and inclusion. Um, going to go pretty quickly. So in a, in a Zoom, we would um, stop sharing the screen and we would have people share their name, their position, and the pronouns that they use if they choose to share. I'm Annalise, she, her, hers, school psychologist. Um, and why am I here? I'm here because um, 
people I know and love use they, them pronouns. So um, it's something that's very important to me personally, as well as um, important as professional. So that's why I'm so engaged and interested in this. We're also going to go over te terminology, definitions, history, current recommended practice, resources, and have some time for some Q&A at the end. Um, so ground rules in this training, maintain confidentiality, listen actively, be aware of your own body language, avoid generalizations, but speak to your own unique experience, be curious, not furious, judgment-free, and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So we do a poll, do you go by a name other than your first legal name? And do you know anyone who has changed their pronouns and the names and the pronoun, or the pro who has changed the pronouns that they use? And there's choices. Um, some of us know many more people and some, some people know no one. Um, why are we doing this? Um, it's evolution. Although gender diversity and has been around for hundreds and thousands of years, um, it, it, there's an increased awareness lately, and we need to be responsive and include all people. And um, that should always be our goal. There's also federal and state anti-discrimination laws. So I referenced New York state laws. Um, there's the Dignity for, all, Dignity for All Students Act, which um, protects students' gender, including gender presentation, gender sorry, gender expression and gender identity. Um, and so you could look at your state specific guidance since I know there's people who are tuning in from other states out here. I it did include a couple of visuals. Um, there's some surveys that have been done about how students report their climate is across states and also um, athletic guidance documents from different states. So I included those links there for you. Really, um, the best environment for students is a place where they feel safe, where they feel accepted for who they are. So we need to be okay with whoever they are and to acknowledge that and to be good with it. So that's um, why we're doing this. So this is a clip of Raising Ryland. Um, if you guys are hearing me okay, um, I'll try to show it. So far, so good. Awesome. And I'm going to work on getting the PowerPoint presentation. I'll get a link in the chat for everybody soon to follow along. So this was in 2016, just to keep in mind. Um, let me be able to use the bathroom of their choice in city facilities. Similar laws are being debated around the country as the transgender movement pushes for greater protection. And while the transgender community is finding a growing voice in popular culture, its members are still widely misunderstood. A new book, Raising Ryland, chronicles one family's journey parenting a transgender child who's already facing a major is how the family hopes its story will raise awareness. Not long after her first birthday, Ryland Whittington's parents, Jeff and Hillary, learned their child was profoundly deaf. It wasn't until doctors put in cochlear implants that Ryland was able to hear for the first time. You hear that? For a while there, we didn't know Ryland would be able to talk or hear or just communicate. Ryland did learn to speak, but what she had to say didn't make sense to her family. It's my sister, Benny, and I Ryland. started saying, I'm a boy. And at the time, we just thought it was cute. It was a phase. I thought maybe I would have a, a tomboy. It was around three that we started to hear it. But around four years old was when it got very strong. Jeff and Hillary struggled to understand. Jeff especially. 
You were trying to avoid it? I was avoiding for a while. I knew that Ryland was going to have a difficult life with the cochlear implants, or at least that's what my perception was. So to add something on top of that, I just couldn't, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't picture it. I'm sure what a lot of people can't believe about your story, that three years old, a little girl can say, I'm a little boy. We could have ignored it and we could have pushed it away and and said, no, you're a girl and, and fought it. And we did. And we did. <laughs> For the first but, time. But. But it became so persistent. They say Ryland demonstrated the key markers that doctors and psychologists look for in determining if a child is transgender. At the time, like so many people, Jeff and Hillary didn't get what it meant to be transgender. Now they do. Lots of ball. This is eight-year-old Ryland today. Over the fence. After much research, counseling, and soul-searching, Jeff and Hillary say they came to the inescapable conclusion that Ryland's gender identity did not match the sex on her birth certificate. So at age five, Ryland began living as a boy. When you, when you see pictures of yourself when you were three and four years old, does that seem strange now? Kind of. A little weird. Seems a little weird. Yeah. Ryland remembers how he refused to wear clothes made for girls. Those were the way of showing my mom and dad that I was a boy. What makes you so strong, so determined? I just had a weird feeling that I wanted to be a boy. From the time you were very young. Yeah. This is just as likely to be hardwired as sexual orientation. It's not a choice. Dr. Steven Rosenthal is researching the long-term outcomes of medical treatment for transgender youth in a study funded by the National Institutes of Health. There is no reason to believe that transgender people haven't been around since people have been around, just like uh, any other variation in, in human biology. Rosenthal says treatment is crucial because an alarming 41% of transgender people attempt suicide. But new research in the journal Pediatrics found that children who have socially transitioned to the gender with which they identify had normal levels of depression and anxiety. We have seen so many kids who have come into our practice, like Ryland, um, who have fully socially transitioned. And family after family tells us that as soon as they enable their kid to do this, everything turned around. When you were researching and seeing that attempted suicide rate, 41%, 41%. what was that? Awful. It was horrible. Awful. You know, would we rather have a living son or a dead daughter? And, you know, we weren't willing to play with that statistic. We'd rather have a living son. What are you guys doing? We're making a cake. I'm not kidding when I say that the child changed overnight. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, he was so proud all of a sudden and just so happy and just felt so comfortable. And you could just see him ease up. There's people who blame you. Say, you did this to him. It would never be something that I would push on my child. In certain ways, it is and, and, and will make Ryland's life a little bit harder. And I don't want my child's life to be any harder. There are decisions ahead, including whether to eventually give Ryland male hormones. It's a little while before puberty sets in now, but you've got to be thinking about that. You know, thankfully, there's puberty blockers, which allow us to delay the onset of puberty for a period of time. I think it is really important to note that, that we haven't done anything that 
isn't reversible. Jeff and Hillary are sharing their story because they want Ryland to live in a world that accepts him. Hey, Dad, yeah. What? Know how you made that tunnel? Hopefully we just plant the seed of little conversations all over the world. People can just start understanding this more. And there's so many more people who are willing to go public with it and who are coming out and trying to help this world to understand. So I think I mean, we'll get there. We'll get there. For CBS This Morning, John Blackstone, San Diego. They seem like a very nice family. They don't deserve blame. They deserve applause. Jeff and Hillary, just the fact that we're having the conversation mm -hmm. is so important. I agree. What do you think, Charlie? I think it's very important, and I think people need to know they're not alone. Me too. Me too. Bravo, bravo to that family. I felt like that was powerful. The, the line that, that jumped out to me was, you know, um, you know, with a living son or a dead daughter. Um, so. Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that gives a lot of information in a, in a quick punch. Um, this is a genderbred person. I don't know if y'all have seen this before. But this is a great image that shows that we're really talking about four different topics. I'm going to do a little quick LGBTQ kind of 101, just because there's, there can be a lot of confusion between um, different terms. And, and really, this is all about gender, but um, sexuality is part of the LGBTQ umbrella as well. So um, first, there's assigned sex. Um, when someone's born, they're typically assigned a sex at birth, right? It's a boy, it's a girl. However, um, Intersex is a, is a possibility as well. The external anatomy is not always visibly male or female. About one in 2,000 um, children that are born, um, that is the case. But when you look beyond just the external anatomy, when you look at hormones, when you look at secondary sex characteristics, when you look at other factors, it's a, an estimated approximately one in 200 people could be considered intersex. Um, that's as common as having red hair. Uh, raise your hand if you know someone with red hair. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind that there's a lot more variability um, out there than than I was aware of. Um, on the right is gender identity. This is what's up here, right? This is a person's internal, deeply held sense of who they are. So the term transgender is that umbrella term that we use for people whose identity does not match the sex they were assigned at birth. So gender identity is how you identify yourself. Um, I'm cisgender. The, the sex I was assigned at birth matches my gender. It aligns, right? Um, but people could be transgender where it's, where it's um, not the case. Here's some different gender identity terms that people might use. Male, female, trans, non-binary. Non-binary is both a specific term and an umbrella term for gender outside of the gender binaries. So binary, male, female, two choices. But people are reporting that that is not their experience, that they are either both, they're something entirely different um, or kind of in between, gender can be fluid. Someone's gender identity can change over time. It can change from day to day. Um, so it's important to be aware that although male, female is kind of the default, um, there's a lot more variability that people are reporting and we need to be able to recognize that in our students. Gender identity um, starts to develop in toddlerhood. So just like Ry we saw with Ryland, it's not uncommon, although gender identity can develop over time, right? Um, a famous person, El Elliot Page just came out. Elliot Page started in Juno. Elliot Page um, came out as trans and non-binary, and they're, I think, around my age, right? So, you know, your, your gender identity can change over time. Um, 
sexual orientation is a separate thing. That's who you're attracted to. It could be physically, sexually, emotionally. Um, the terms that we have on the right are heterosexual. You see homosexuals crossed out. You know, based on my research, homosexual is not uh, considered as favorable of a term anymore, and there's information behind that. So that's crossed out, although people might use that term for themselves. Um, that's not something that I would use, that I would encourage. Asexual, gay, straight, bisexual, queer, pansexual, these are other sexual orientation terms. And sexual orientation comes a little bit later, right, pre-adolescence through adulthood. And it's expected that there's exploration throughout people's lives in these areas coming out process. Um, this is important to be aware of. And although it shows a continuum, um, you start, start out with your assumptions that you learn from a very young age about yourself, about other people. And you see it's the iceberg, which we often see um, when we talk about students' behavior, when people see, and there's much more than meets the eye and makes up people who people are. There's the personal awareness that's happening inside that's private, and then sharing publicly who you are, and that can be very difficult. Um, and hopefully you get to your authentic self where you're happy, healthy, and productive. This isn't always linear. Um, it can be many years where people go through different stages. Um, and it's also the process that an individual goes through when they're coming out based on their gender, gender or sexual orientation is also something that family and friends and you know people that know and love people are all also going through a process. There's an adjustment period, right? So um, although it's an individual that's going through this, you know people are going through it together as well. Um, so something to keep in mind. Going back to Gender terms, so uh, non-binary is something that's very important to me as I know a number of people with who identify as non-binary. There's lots of different terms that, you don't need to know all the terms, but there's different terms on here, gender queer, demi-boy, demi-girl, nutois, gender fluid, bi, gender agender, and many more. Um, if you look at the pie chart on the right, you'll see that well over half of students that were, um, of people that were surveyed, um, this is the human rights campaign in 2018, identified as something besides trans boy or trans girl. So when we think about gender expansive youth, you know, well over half identify something beyond that gender binary, whether they are gender non-conforming, non-binary, or other terms like gender fluid. So it's important to just be aware that these terms exist and that these are things that people are increasingly reporting um, are right for them. Gender expression is like the fourth topic. Um, gender expression is how we present ourselves to the world. And that can be laden with gender stereotypes. Um, for example, when someone says they're having a girl, right? What are you gonna buy them? What color, right? And if they're not gonna find out the sex of their baby, the nursery might be yellow or green, yellow. right? <laughs> Um, so the ideas that I have on this slide are based on external features, right? But we also have internal ideas about what gender is, about how someone should behave, you know? So um, keep in mind that just the way a person presents does not always match their gender identity. Their gender expression and gender identity are, are separate. So we might discuss that if I was doing it in a training. <laughs> So this is the gender unicorn. This is a summary. Um, again, it's similar to the gender-bred person. You see gender identities at the top. That's in our head. That's that little rainbow. A person can identify as male, female, both, or entirely other gender. Um, gender expression is the dotted line on the outside. That's how we present ourselves to the world, which could be masculine, feminine, androgynous, other.
sex were assigned at birth is the third is the third area that's that little dna um, symbol male female intersex and then the hearts are who we're physically and emotionally attracted to so that's sort of the summary of all the different areas that you might think of when you talk about um, this this topic but um I know it's a lot of information and you don't need to know all the terms. What you need to know is that terms are gonna change. They're already changing like the term queer, for example, that used to be a very negative term and people are reclaiming it and using it and finding a lot of power in it. Um, so the terminology will change over time, but you can never go wrong with just asking a person and responding to how they would like to be addressed. So that's the takeaway is um, there's a tip, it's a tip called mirroring and you just mirror However, a person wants to, you know, if you want to be addressed as fox, she, her, hers pronouns, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to go with, right? If you use the term gay, that's the term that I will use. Um, if you use the term trans boy, that's the term I will use. But if you identify as a boy and you call yourself a boy, that's what you are. So regardless of what sex someone is assigned at birth, if they identify as a boy, they're a boy. They identify as a girl, they're a girl. Use the terms that people use for themselves. So how, how should I address you, right? I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. You all have seen this yet. Um, but we use, um, we use, I'm sorry, I'm blanking here, titles. We use titles on people in the school system very often, right? Well, Miss, Ms, Mr., don't always feel right to people. So mix is becoming a much more commonly used title. So mix is that MX, something to be aware of. Just like students should choose what they wanna be referred to as, so should staff. Um, implicit bias is another area to talk about um, because you know we make, we, we all have biases that relate to gender, right? And we all make assumptions. So I have a short clip that I'm gonna show that has to do with that. We'll all hold our breath with technology. Okay, here it goes. <laughs> oh, this is pretty intense. And be conscious of what's unfamiliar. It's a basic survival instinct that's helped keep us safe for thousands of years. We unconsciously sort things into familiar versus unfamiliar, same versus different, them versus us. Here's a test. How do you feel about people who own a handgun? Don't attend church. Vote for the other candidate. Are on welfare. Don't eat meat. Have tattoos. Don't believe in marriage. Drive an electric car. Didn't go to college. Don't speak English. Curse. Are over six. Are disabled. Drive the speed limit. Love cats. Love dogs. Can you feel your brain sorting people into groups? Was there a little them versus us happening? It can happen unconsciously. Success. Yep. Wonderful. So, um, you know, we all have biases. Um, I. I'm showing you a book cover right now of a book that I absolutely love, um, Beyond the Gender Binary. But some of my own biases came out just looking at the cover of this book that I that I want to share. I looked at this cover and I went to conclusions about this person's identity before I, you know, even cracked 
cracked it open, right? I saw this and I said, oh, that's a man in a dress, a gay man. My brain just went there, okay? And once I opened the book, I found out this person does not identify as a man, right? And, you know, so we make assumptions about people's orientation and their gender just based on looking at them. And that is something that our brain does very quickly. And it's just something to be aware of that we do um, because sometimes those assumptions are wrong and can hurt people. Okay, additional terminology to know, intersectionality. This was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in the 1980s uh, relating to black women being left out of the feminist movement. Intersectionality just has to do with the fact that, you know, we're talking about gender today and that's important. However, we can't just use a single category like gender, race, or sexual orientation to explain people. Um, the intersection of these categories, how they come together can result in, in experiences of both privilege and oppression. Um, so intersectionality is the term just to, we want to look at the whole child, right, each individual child. Um, and when we, like I work with a lot of students with disabilities, right, that's a factor. Um, the average life expectancy of a black trans woman is 35 years old. That is a startling statistic and that's a result of the intersection of a lot of different layers of oppression, racism, sexism, transphobia. Um, one in three LGBTQ youth are, uh, are people of color and queer youth of color have higher rates of homelessness, harassment, um, suspension, et cetera. So um, it's just important to be aware of all the factors that, that impact a person. Um, neurodiversity is another term. Um, they've done some research and people with autism are um, three to six times more likely to not identify with the sex that they were assigned at birth. So it's just more common you know, correlation wise among the autism population. So it's something to be aware of um, that we're gonna see this more often with the people with autism, that those that are neurodiverse. Uh, the third term on this page is chosen name. This is a name that's selected by an individual. Um, it could be called preferred name or affirmed name, different different terms, um, but this is the, the name that a person wants to be called. So when I ask you, how do you want me to refer to you? You know, that's the name that I need to use. Um, so if you think of a child that was born, they're assigned female at birth, their parents give them the name Rose. Rose is a beautiful name. And Rose is also associated with like wearing lots of pretty pink dresses and other things. And so that child, as they grow up, they, they realize they're not a girl, they're a boy and they do not want to be called Rose, understandably so. Um, they want to be called John and have he, him, his pronouns. So that's what we want to use, you know, in the school setting and across settings, the chosen name of the child and the pronouns that they have, um, have affirmed for themselves. Um, it, dead name is kind of the opposite. So John is living his life as a young man um, I'm not going to call him Rose. If I call him Rose, I am dead naming him. I am using the old name. It doesn't matter if it's still a legal name on paperwork. There's a whole process to change your name, right? It's expensive. It's time consuming. Um, that is, I'm going with his affirmed name. You don't want to dead name a student. So that's something that's important to know. Um, it can, the level of discomfort is an individual thing and I don't, you know, but it can be very hurtful for people to be called their wrong name. And you can also be outing them unintentionally. So um, just try not to dead name people is the, the idea there. So uh, raise your hand, I, I'm just, I, just, I can just see two of you. Have you ever asked someone um, what pronouns they use? 
I'm seeing a nod, okay. So why do we ask people for their pronouns? It shows respect for all individuals. Some people are fearful of initiating, safety is a concern, and so is fear of rejection, and it avoids microaggressions. We can't tell a person's gender by looking at them, right? And so we really can't tell what pronouns that they want either. Um, so this is something that's important to know. It's inclusive and it's good to make it a common practice and it also avoids microaggressions. So misgendering is something that occurs very commonly for trans and non-binary youth whose gender expression might not match their gender identity or might not, you know, they might not present that way. So um, if you call someone, hey, young lady, come over here and they don't identify as a girl, you are misgendering them, you are hurting them. So it, microaggressions have been described as like a thousand tiny paper cuts. You know, it happens once, it's something that you can manage, but if it happens over and over again, it can be harmful. Um, one of the kids that I know gets misgendered multiple times a day, every day when they're at school. And, you know, sometimes they correct the teachers and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's embarrassing and you know it makes it's really uncomfortable um so when someone says hey socially distance girls um you know that's the everyone's going to socially distance these days with the coronavirus um they might not correct that teacher but that hurt because they are not a girl so it's just important to um try to use more gender inclusive practices and try not to misgender students so question anna is just to to fess up here and i i can't say that i ask people, um, it's not, I'm not in the habit of, of asking people their pronouns. What would be the best way? Is that just kind of like, hi, nice to meet you. What are your pronouns? Should that be like in that, um, that intro kind of, um, kind of sentence there? Is that what's most appropriate? Or do you do that after a period of like, how, how does that work? Yeah. Um, introduction. When you meet a student, right? Hi, I'm Annalise. She, her, hers pronouns. How should I refer to you? Um, and, and there, I'm going to, there, there will be more tips on that later in my presentation. So awesome. And, and I'm wondering too, if part of it is I, I'm, you know, elementary at the, do you recommend that too, that at an elementary level, when I'm introducing myself, is that the, the most appropriate thing or is that more secondary students or where I'm, I see it happen more commonly with secondary students. However, I think over time, our practice is going to evolve. So it's like with everyone. Um, I think it could be on like the registration form for kindergarten, for example, you know? So it's just like somewhere at some point, um, it's something that we use because we really, we use pronouns for people all the time. We write our little psych reports, right? And we're, we're, using their name and then we'll use a couple pronouns and then we'll use their name again, right? So we do that already and we just we just go on assumptions. So if you ask, you're not going on assumptions. It's something that this is like, because it's evolving and changing, it's something people aren't used to being asked yet. So it might throw students off, but if you ask all students and you ask them like in a private way, not to like stand up in front of the room and declare, um, then it's something that could be really, really good and really affirming. Awesome. So it, 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 it's an inclusion thing, a sense of belonging. And if we have a safe space where all students are accepted for who they are, that's the ideal condition for learning and working and being. So, um, of course, we're very used to the she, her, hers, he, him, his pronouns, but they, them, theirs is becoming increasingly common. Um, some people are uncomfortable using they, them, theirs because of the plural connotation. 
plan in 2019, they, them, theirs was added to the dictionary as singular as well. So it's officially singular. Um, and if you think about it, you've probably already used this in a singular way. Say you're walking into a coffee shop, you see a mitten on a table and you say, oh no, someone lost their mitten. I bet they have a very cold hand. I wanna get this back to them, right? So I just use they, them, theirs in three sentences talking about one person with one cold hand. So we use this when we don't know someone's identity, right? But there's also tons of other pronouns out there. Um, Z, here, zier, and many others. So I personally have worked with a number of people with they, them, theirs pronouns, but I have not work with people with other pronouns, but it takes practice to adjust to using the correct pronouns when you're used to already using different ones for everyone. So it will take time, it will take practice, and um, you know, working through that is important for the students. So don't worry if you make mistakes, we all do. So sentence starters, if you're not certain of what pronouns to use with a person, just say what pronouns do you use? You can also tell them you want to be supportive, you're uncertain of what words to use and you're still learning. Let me know if I make a mistake, I don't want to be disrespectful. Um, we do a poll, how comfortable are you sharing your pronouns and how comfortable are you asking your pronouns? People are a little more comfortable sharing than asking, generally speaking. So um, tripping gracefully, sorry, I need a drink. Um, this is a learning process we're all going to mess up and that is okay it's expected um but it's important to understand that you want to minimize harm when you make a mistake and you don't want to make a huge deal out of it um, you just want to apologize correct your mistake and move on you might make a mental note and intentionally use the right name pronouns the next you know couple times you might intentionally like say they them they. you know you might intentionally work it in and talk to them more to practice um, my One of my um, people that I know and love very well um, was very anxious. Their gym teacher was misgendering them every day in school. And, you know, they're, th this was an intimidating person. And it, was, it took a while for them to correct the gym teacher. And the gym teacher said, oh, right, I'm sorry. He corrected himself and he moved on with the gym class. And this was the highlight of this kid's day that he just said, sorry, he corrected himself and he moved right on. Like to hear an authority figure say, sorry, that felt good. So this is also like a positive, potential positive moment. If you handle it right and correct yourself, it can be a good moment for the child too. Um, a couple of quotes from the National Educational Foundation Association. So we use a tiered approach in schools, right? we're used to seeing this tiered approach, we can use a tiered approach with, with gender too. First of all, tier one with all students, we don't know everyone's gender, we can't tell it by looking at someone, so we can default to ungendered terms. Instead of saying, hey boys and girls, you can say, hey students, hey whatever the mascot is, hey y'all, hey folks, hey everyone, hey kids. Um, because if you say boys and girls, some kids aren't either. And you're leaving them out, right? And if you see a, a, a group and you don't know, you don't really need to know. Just use the gender gender neutral terms. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to say that. You can say distinguished guests or whatever. <laughs> so there's like lots of lists out there. So this is something I'm trying to, I'm still trying to unlearn. I still say guys, even though guys is technically gendered, right? 
so it's it's difficult. <laughs> I've said it already once in this presentation today, but ungendered terms is important as far as the default goes. Yeah, and Eric and Rebecca and I, we have you know a voice chat going, and that's one of the things that we're all trying to work on and trying to correct. Because I'm especially, I think it's a New York thing that I've yes. always grown up using guys to refer to a group, even okay. if they're female, male. It's a guys yeah. is just a group. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying, but it's, it takes practice, like you said. Yeah, I know that the hey y'all, we're trying to not that any of us are very southern, but <laughs> it's like, I'm not southern, it's not in hey my <laughs> it's more inclusive, and we it all is right. <laughs> okay, so, um, this uh, re resources at the will be at the end of the slides, but these are the more universal tier one support strategies honor individuals' affirms name and pronouns. You share your own pronouns, so you see, I, I've added it to my email. There's actually a little video that's online that's a clip that you could also put below your email that one of my supervisors does. So if people are like, why are the pronouns here? They can click on the little link and have like a two minute little educational video because it is something that confuses and concerns people at times. Pronouns can even be controversial at times. Um, so if you, I put it in my Zoom handle, I put it in my email. Um, some people put it on their little ID badge or wear a button. Share your pronouns if you're comfortable, but sharing pronouns is optional right? You don't need to. And you shouldn't require students to in a public way either. You want to honor their privacy. If you find out a student has an affirmed name that is different than the one that's on your roster, you want to change it everywhere in the classroom. Um, you want to communicate it with the adults that you work with. Okay, so I guess we're moving up to tier two, right? Um, make sure students understand that documentation will travel over time. Um, if a student wants to be called a certain name, they may or may not want that name to be on their report card or on paperwork that goes home. Um, some students are more comfortable being out at school and they're not out at home. You know, we have to respect that. Uh, st some students are just verbally wanting the affirmed name to be used and not in writing whatsoever. And that's okay. And you know, the second a child tells you, hey, I want they, them, theirs pronouns. Can you call me Sky? You can do that right then and there. The other stuff, this conversation, figuring out the paperwork and things like that. And just don't make assumptions. If you're not sure, ask. More support strategies. You want to avoid grouping people by gender, right? If gym class is boys and girls, some people are left out. Um, be aware of your word choice and educate yourself on the current terminology. And we try to unlearn that binary language and find ways to publicly support gender expansive youth. Um, stop bad behavior if you see it. Someone says that's so gay. Kids report hearing that a lot. We want to intervene there. If someone is not using the proper pronouns for a person, we want to say something. Um, you want to show students that you're an ally. You also want to respect the individual and not like out them. You know what I mean? So it needs to be done in, in a sensitive way. And I think there's there's some tier two lessons that could be done if, if you have a student who's gender nonconforming in the classroom. Um, you also want to have some library materials that are diverse. Like if you think about representation matters, right? In math problems, you could have instead of a, a student being like, Joni went to the mall, she bought four pairs. You know, Diane bought that, you know, you could insert they, them, theirs pronouns into a math problem. You could insert 
having two moms into a math problem. You could have books that are more representative of the variety of the gender spectrum. So there's just lots of different ways you can in incorporate um, diversity that supports LGBTQ students and they know that they're not alone. Um, so as far as like mental health people, which we are, um, when you meet a student, what do you like to be called? What pronouns do you use, right? You're sitting down to test the student. You can do that. Um, and tier two, three counseling piece, you wanna have a conversation about pos possible outcomes before you change paperwork. Um, here in New York state, we don't challenge the request. If a child says they wanna be called Sky, they then there's pronouns. We could say, do you want this to go on your report card? You know, we can have a conversation with them, but it, they take the lead and we don't even need a parent's consent for that. Um, it might be different in different states. So for us um, and the IEP, we have Medicaid billing for certain services. Um, so for that reason, the legal name has to be shown because that's the way it is in the medical world. So it might say, Joan goes by Sky, uses they, them, theirs pronouns, and will be referred to as such throughout this document. So that might be something that you use in a report. That way you are using the correct terms, but it's also documented where the legal name is. And if there was goals, it would say like, student will do this. That way we're not dead naming them throughout the document or at the end of the document, but it still is going to align with the financial piece. So there's like some hybrid work that has to be done and some just ongoing problem solving. And I would say it's not perfect, but we're always trying to do better for students. So I'm gonna end with a quote. Um, this is Nancy Shelton. We forgive ourselves the first thought. We all make assumptions, but the magic happens in our second thought and our first action. That's where our power lies. So we have a lot of opportunity to support students who are gender diverse. And um, that's where I challenge you all to do it. So there's a ton of resources here. Um, NASP has some um, a gender inclusive schools document that came out in 2016. It says preferred pronouns in that document. The term preferred pronouns is no longer um, encouraged. We cross the preferred out, just say pronouns because people get confused and think it's a preference. It's not a preference, it's not an option. It's not like pizza toppings. It's someone's pronouns. So, um, so, but there's great resources out there. Um, Savvy Ally um, has sheets on gender inclusive schools, supporting parents. She has some great YouTube clips. Um, there's just a lot of great things out there. And there's also some great books. Um, staff at my work are doing um, Beyond the Gender Binary. That's that book I showed you. It's the shortest, smallest little thing. Um, it, it takes, I don't know, an hour maybe to read, give or take, super quick, but it gives you like a really good insight into an own voice author and really seeing beyond that gender binary. So those are some other resources that I'm gonna leave you with. And that's it. Awesome, Anna. I know that, um, let's see, we had a question here. I'm wondering, um, yeah. Parents who are not accepting of their child's chosen name or, or pronouns, um, what, <laughs> how does that play out in the school system? Um, obviously, you know, we want to be supportive of the student, and I'm sure that's a difficult situation for the child to be in, but how, how what's the, the game plan for that? Well, you know, 
school is the safest place for some kids. And for those kids, that is the case. They cannot be out at home, probably. They can't be themselves. So it is our duty to be as supportive as possible in school um, while also having some of those conversations with the child. Um, it, it might, you know, case by case basis. It might be that the child, you know, wants to be called their, their chosen name at school, but it does not go on paperwork, for example, to avoid conflicts at home. Um, you want to really work with the individual and do what's best for them, um, knowing that at school might be the absolute safest place where they can be themselves. And if you have a GSA club at your school, um, that would be a great thing for them to go to. I know a student that I know they're doing right now remote GSA meetings and the attendance is way, way down compared to when they could go in person. So that could be, you know, a privacy and out thing. So it really has to be individualized and, and know that it's super important that we do the best we can in schools is that, you know, reduces the risk of suicide and all sorts of other things when people can truly be themselves. I know that it gave me, um, when you gave the example of, you know, the gym teacher that was using the wrong pronoun and that, um, you know, the student corrected and he immediately said sorry and that kind of like made the student so happy and diffused things. That that gives me hope and, and makes, just because what you said, I, I think that as adults, we're, we're trying to do our best and then we're gonna make mistakes. And so it, it makes me glad that, um, that just correcting it and moving on and doing better the next time um, will, you know, might be the best we can do in the moment. And sometimes that's enough for that moment. And then moving forward, um, re release, uh, reduces some of my anxiety about, um, you know, I, I don't think as school psychologists, we don't, we don't want to be hurtful. We, we definitely, you know, we want to help. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that made me feel better. <laughs> and I'm going to look for any questions or comments. That was a ton of information and that was. Yeah. Awesome. And, and really helpful. I think just being current on um, new practices, better practices, improved, I, I think as you use the term evolution and uh, you know, we're, we're trying to do right by the students and, and certainly um, you know, me as an older older folk <laughs> practicing, um, I want to make sure I'm in tune and in touch with what students need and uh, preferred terminology and appropriate terminology. And um, you know, I, I think as you said, Rachel, we all want to. Uh, we nobody wants to hurt anyone. We all want to do the right thing. But I don't. You know, I want to make sure I'm not that um, bumbling fifty year old. You know, uh, guy. You know stepping on everybody's toes as I try to get it right, you know, so this is really good for me too. Um, and, you know, I think interestingly, as things have evolved in the last few years, I have had on the secondary level, some parents who say, you know, will send an email and say, my child prefers to use this name and these pronouns. And um, that's made it really easy, you know, and, and to just welcome the child and use the correct name and say, you know, in a private, moment is, you know, would you like me to call you, you know, got your parents email? Uh, um, what would you like me to call you and, and what pronouns are appropriate? And, um, but that it's nice and not all parents are, you know, supportive and uh, welcoming either. So um, this was really good information. 
I'm, I'm wondering too, Hannah, if you could talk a little bit about, I know that you've done some really great things um, advocacy wise in your community and in a variety of kind of social justice and, 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 and this type of topic. Um, as school psychologists, what are what are some of the things that we can start to do to to support students in our community um, it, within and outside of, of school? What are some of the things that you've seen that have been helpful? Um, sorry, there's a, a child with a cat at my door. <laughs> we need the cats. I was just thinking that too. I haven't seen the cat. We have a quick cat interruption. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Let's see, who is it? Oh. Since the time of Corona, Ariel has jumped on my back during one like work Zoom meeting. So that was really embarrassing and reminds me of <laughs> what happened in a podcast at least once or twice. <laughs> yes, it looks like Sue is celebrating. She she commented, yes. <laughs> um, okay, so what can we do? Um, we, I think, I think we can be champions. So this, you know, NASP came out with that um, anti-racism action steps for school psychs, right? <laughs> um, and we, I think, have to advocate um, as much as we can because like our kids are dealing with a lot of horrible things in schools. Okay, this is not going well, okay. <laughs> and, um, and we just need to, we need to be there and provide, not that we can do everything, right? But we want kids to be in an environment, and I'm like loosely quoting Brene Brown, where they can take off their armor and truly be themselves. And that I think is on us. And that's something that we can, tr we truly understand that. So I think we have to look at our own biases and have ongoing, do, do the ongoing work of unlearning our biases and recognizing like white supremacy that's in me and the cis sexism that's in me and you know and all that stuff and just keep doing the work within and then also be aware of what our professional organization is challenging us to do so i think we need to try to be you know vocal vocal for intersectional anti-racism and gender inclusive practices. And, you know, in my community, um, right now, New York State came out with a law that all single stall bathrooms can be all gender bathrooms, they must be all gender. So like, I'm looking to see like, are they are they doing this? Like, does this exist? Because this makes a big difference in my community center, they only had male and female bathrooms. Um, and so a child I know in my community, could not go there. They, you know, they would not, they don't want to misgender themselves and go in that bathroom. It's not worth it to them. They would rather avoid entirely. And we have kids in schools who are withholding and not going to the bathroom because there isn't an all gender bathroom, a private place where they can go. So I think we can look at how our schools are set up and see how we can give kids access, even if, you know, that means going to the nurse's office where there's a single stall bathroom even if that's the only place, which in some schools it is, but having that option. And of course, kids can go to the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity, regardless of what they were assigned at birth, right? But for some kids who are non-binary, who are like, nope, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl, we have to think outside of the box and just be more aware. Um, and so, 
I don't know. Sorry, that was a long ramble, but. <laughs> no, that's good. And I think that, like you said, just, just being aware and being kind of cognizant of, of some of the stuff that, that typically we might, it might just not stand out to us. But when I think you have to consciously force yourself to um, be looking for these things and, and seeking out information and educating mm -hmm. yourself and growing and being aware of um, these biases, you know, we all we're school psychologists, but we're all biased, <laughs> you know, where to, just to anybody that thinks that they're not is just wrong. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's important. Okay. Thank you so much, Anna. That was awesome. Anna. <laughs> we Thank you, Anna. We get, so nice to see well. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, <laughs> I want to remind everybody, let's see, our next podcast, we're off for, for Easter, yeah. so we won't be there, but um, on 418, we have um, Shane, right? Yeah, Shane, yeah, to talk about School Psychology Review, the editor of School Psychology Review, um, to talk about the publication and, and how what's going on with that and how people can be involved and, and learn from that. So I think that would be good. Oh, last, last question here. Um, from Sue, thank you for participating, Sue, sincerely. <laughs> Any thoughts on um, entering a gender on our online scoring assessment? That's a good, that's a good uh, point. It's often, you know, you've got two choices, unfortunately, on some things. Mm -hmm. And I think our, our test people need to grow just as we're growing. Um, you know, forms need to change. Mm -hmm. um, and norms need to change, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know it will be a slow process. But like where where I work, you know, we are asking kids pronouns and we are making sure we're putting the pronouns in the reports and things like that. And I know it's easier to change like a work form rather than change the Pearson's form. But I think that that needs to change. Um, and people are leaving it blank, right? And if you want to get a score and some of these, you have to pick one. And that it, it puts you in, a, in an awkward position too. For sure, because when I mean, yeah, it's normative wise, you know, what group are you comparing to? And so I guess it, I guess the idea would be, you know, combine them to kind of those combined gendered mm -hmm. norms of the whole sample. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes it makes you choose. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, That's good. The BASC allows you to score with combined norms, but I don't know whether it requires initial input of whether the subject is male or female. That's Interesting. Something to think about moving yeah. forward. Maybe we can put some pressure on some testing companies to kind yeah. of think inside of that a little bit. But all right. So I don't see any other questions. So we're going to wrap up. But thank you again. This was super uh, informative. And I know it's got me thinking. And I'm definitely going to go forward and change some of my practices and, and really um, kind of you know, be cognizant and, and make some of those changes. You know, we've been working on the the you guys thing for a while in our little thing, and I feel like I'm stagnating. So I, I'm in, <laughs> inspired now to, I'm, I'm going to get rid of that. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks everybody for watching.